AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays. Coming up on our program today, we're going to get more reaction to the, all the biofuels news this week. Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol will join us. We'll talk markets and economy with Arlen Suderman with Stone X, and we'll get the latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langemeyer will be joining us a little bit later in the program. Busy week. Let's start it off with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Todd, thank you for joining us. And after waiting and waiting and waiting for the biofuels news, wow, it all came at once. Some good, some not so good for the biofuels industry. Yeah, Mike, you know, it's really quite astonishing what we saw this week. Um, I don't think in the history of the RFS that we saw um, in any more consequential week when it comes to RFS. Uh, you know, we're still very far behind on, on the law implementing volume requirements uh, for a couple of years. Uh, but this one, it's, uh, it seems that the Biden administration came out and uh, basically said we're going to try to take every, take every outstanding issue uh, when it comes to ethanol and fix it with one proposal. And uh, I would say that on balance, it's probably not a bad proposal, except for there are some things such as cutting the corn ethanol numbers down uh, for a couple of years, including 2020 retroactively. And then we had, um, you know, the, the pending small refinery exemptions, all 65 of them to be rejected. And so there's a lot of good in this proposal. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out, though. I mean, I think a lot of people are really concerned about, you know, the trajectory of the RFS. Um, you know, they want to see the, those numbers grow, which they do under this proposal. But I think the corn ethanol side of things is a bit concerning. Yeah, it's, pardon the pun, is that you look at it, the tank's either half empty or half full. Um, right. It's not a it's not a full embrace or support of the RFS. I, I, I don't think they're still completely following the law, but it's better than it has been. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, Mike. You know, I think, I think in particular, the small refinery exemption issue has really put a lot of doubt, uh, you know, into the, in the ethanol markets and the corn markets to some degree. Um, I think having that off the table does bring a little bit of stability back to the program in some way. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the 2020 retroactive cutting of, of corn ethanol volumes, I think that's something we'll see challenged in court, quite honestly. And I think, uh, you know, we see it every every time these proposals are out there, we see legal action. And so uh, this one has a lot of parts to it. And I think there's just uh, a lot yet to sort out. Meanwhile, USDA uh, announcing some, finally, some aid for the biofuels industry. This has been a long time coming as well. Yeah, you know, we heard back uh, early beginning of this year uh, that the Biden administration was working on finalizing some uh, about $700 million in aid uh, for producers hurt during the COVID shutdown. Um, I'm not really sure what took so long other than it appears, you know, with this broad announcement uh, that they were uh, you know, planning all along to announce all this all at once. And so uh, that is definitely much needed. You know, there's a lot of producers out there who are still struggling a bit, uh, you know, and, and that, that COVID shutdown was really hard on the industry. So this that is definitely some good news. Meanwhile, in other news, the Family Farm Alliance asking the Department of Justice to investigate fertilizer prices. Will be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, you know, we've seen unprecedented rises in, in the fertilizer market. Um, you know, Russ Quinn at DTN here covers it quite extensively. And, uh, you know, compared to last year at this time, uh, you know, fertilizers were quite a bit lower in price. I mean, we're talking uh, increases of ranging from 65% to over 200% from last year at this time. And so it's quite dramatic. Um, I think it probably is a good idea to look into what's really happening. You know, there's a lot of market uh, market pieces that play into it, obviously, but, um, you know, just just that precipitative rise, you know, it's just been something that every week we're reporting uh, increases to some degree, and it, it just really hasn't seemed to stop all year. And so it'll be interesting to see what comes from this, although this is just one group that's called uh, call for an investigation. Perhaps there'll be more. 
which you have to figure in. You always get these headlines about projected farm income and, uh, right. you know, income can be up. But as we all know, if your expenses are up, that difference between gross and net, that, that's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the input prices, uh, you know, that I think that's one of the main concerns in, in the ag industry right now is the inputs. You know, it's really been quite a, quite astounding to see these increases in fertilizer and other areas. And I think that, um, you know, as we look at the, ag, the whole ag economy, until something is done, until some, uh, you know, something happens with some of these input prices, it's going to be really difficult uh, for producers going forward in the longer term. Very interesting at the DTN Ag Summit this week in Chicago. One of the big topics of discussion, well, two, uh, input costs was certainly a big topic of conversation, including availability of inputs, but also starting to get more into these carbon markets and the different uh, uh, groups that are out there offering different types of carbon programs. A lot of questions and uh, people are seeking those answers and uh, we're, we're hearing more and more about those. Yeah, you're, you're right, Mike. I think carbon markets, uh, you know, there there is quite a bit of opportunity, I think, for agriculture. Um, I think I think the important thing is to get these things right. You know, it has to be something that the producers can uh, make sense when it comes to the bottom line. Um, you know, it's got to make sense to their individual uh, production systems. You know, it's not just, uh, it really can't be a one-size-fits-all. And I think uh, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, you know, we're seeing lots of announcements uh, by various companies, you know, offering uh, carbon payouts to farmers for different types of practices and those sorts of things. And I think it really does have uh, a lot of potential. And I think, uh, you know, as we keep going forward and we keep seeing more of these, um, you just have to watch and see what, you know, what really, uh, what really is offered and, and whether producers can really uh, take advantage of it. And finally, I wanted to share some thoughts on the passing of Senator Bob Dole. Um, for those of us that had a chance to interact with him, some, um, over the years, I always found him to be very personable, great sense of humor, uh, always appreciated his willingness and efforts to reach across the aisle and yeah. work to get things done. And, and he was just a delight to cover. And then he ran for president. And it's just like all of his handlers <laughs> must have got together and said, we have to change you now to run for president. And I don't think the <laughs> country saw candidate presidential candidate Dole when they saw him, they didn't see the real Bob Dole. And I always regretted that, uh, that they changed him so much. But, wow, he'll, he has missed. He, he takes us back to a time when the people in Congress are different uh, on different sides of the aisle could work together and get some things done. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. He was an incredible, he's, he's legendary. Um, you know, when you talk about agriculture and Bob Dole, I mean, he was, a, he was quite a, um, an anti-hunger uh, advocate. You know, not that we, you know, I think everyone's anti-hunger, but he really did push on that front quite a bit. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to his life, but yeah, you know, he's 98 and I, and I think, you know, history is going to look kindly on, on Bob Dole. He did a lot for our country and I think, um, we'll always be in a great debt to him. Yeah. Did a lot for our country even before he got into politics and certainly, uh, once yeah. he was into politics for sure. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we get more into that biofuels news. Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol joins us next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. 
the system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. When it comes to a healthy bottom line for your farming operation, nothing helps like healthy soil. Producers who use soil health management systems report lower input costs while maintaining or even improving their yields. Plus, those systems help with drought protection and soil and water conservation. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out more and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by the NRCS and this radio station. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so we continue to kind of go through all this biofuels news. Everything kind of happening this week. That's what happens when... They keep putting things off and putting things off. Well, they finally got around to announcing a lot of things this week, uh, they being both EPA and USDA. So I want to go through all this with uh, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President, American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, thank you for joining us. Some good, uh, some not so good. Uh, let's start with the things that uh, stand out to you on the positive side from this week's announcement. Well, I think the, the the good things that we knew about, but that got announced at this point, were the 700 million in aid to ethanol plants for pandemic relief. Um, we knew that was happening. We just didn't know when it would be announced, and I think we still don't know the details. So it kind of looks like something that they decided to announce so that they, you know, could soften the blow of the other stuff that came. Um, and and you know, we we'll see what the what the details are, but that's good. And, and USDA has been very helpful to us. Um, and then they also announced that there would be another hundred million dollars in uh, infrastructure grants uh, uh, for stations to put in equipment for higher blends. So that can be useful too. Um, but uh, you know, in, in both cases, I think again, USDA has always been very helpful to us. And and uh, uh, you know, in one respect, we knew the one thing was coming; the other one, we hoped would. So that that's probably the best the best news of all. Yeah, and you make a good point. It's one thing to make an announcement about here's going to be this money, but until you see the details of how it's used, how it's distributed, when it actually gets out there, uh, until you have those details, you kind of have to just uh, wait and uh, and see because that's where it really counts. So an announcement's fine. Uh, makes a lot of headlines, but you got to get it out there and actually put it to use. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, USDA had to be creative on their own based on the, the package they got. They had to pull the money, money out to use it. And so we appreciate the fact that they did that and went to that effort. And now it's just a matter of, you know, $700 million. It would be nice if it was a lot more. Ethanol producers didn't really fit into a lot of the other categories that got aid. So 
you know, it, it'll help. But it's not. It's certainly not going to hurt. And we appreciate the fact that they've done what they've done, and it will be nice to see what uh, what it looks like when it's all completed. Now the RVO levels, uh, much anticipated, long overdue. Um, that was a mixed bag, wasn't it? Well, I think uh, if you start with the best thing, the best thing is that they're done. I mean, they're well, not they're done, but we've got something out there that we now can comment on, and we will comment. And right at the top, I would encourage everybody to comment on these things because it's not just you know it's not just groups like ours or ethanol producers or corn grower groups that that comment on these things. It's individuals telling them what these things do. But you know that it's on one hand you've got you know I think people keep saying well you know now they're going to deny these uh, these small refinery exemptions. You know it, it's sort of they should. I mean that's that's one of those things that's you know you that's their job is to look at them and um, I think the overwhelming majority if not all of them were unmerited but then basically they try to soften the blow for refiners by saying but we're going to lower these required volumes in 2020 and 2021 to make up for it and that's something that probably isn't legal i know they spend a little time explaining in the rule how they think it is but i don't think it is and the really bad part about it is 2020 was done and this was, I think we've talked about this before, this is such a well-written piece of legislation. It's probably confusing to people who are used to seeing non-well-written legislation. But even in a situation like the pandemic, the way this thing was written, I don't think most people know that the 15 billion gallon required volume obligation, or RPO each year, is converted to a percentage. And that's so that it's easier for obligated parties like refiners to follow it. So they don't have to go with gallons. They go with a percentage of their overall sales. So what that does is in a year when there's, you know, extremely high sales, we would get a little bit extra volume. But in a situation like we had in 2020 with the pandemic, the amount of, of renewable fuel that they are required to buy automatically goes down as the volume of gas sold goes down. But the EPA has seen fit to reduce it even further from uh, overall of 11.56%, I believe it was, to 10.79%. And they did the same thing with 2021. And, you know, they they did similar things in, uh, you know, 20, I don't remember which year it was, 2016. 2014 maybe, but they lowered it because of infrastructure supposedly, and us and a whole bunch of other ethanol folks sued them and we won. So you know I don't know if that's what's going to have to happen or if we you know enough people comment that maybe they'll they'll you know see the error of their ways and change it. But um, you know to lower the volume essentially, especially for 2020, what they're saying is that ethanol producers and farmers should bear a bigger burden for the pandemic than oil companies should because you know, that number was set. They knew what it was. We knew what it was. And now they're saying, yeah, but we're going to take a little bit more from you so that we can give a little bit more to the oil companies. And that's just, that's ridiculous. So basically what they did, Ron, they, they come in and, and say, we're going to deny the waivers, which they should not have granted in the first place, but then say to the oil industry, but we'll make it up to you by not requiring you to, to uh, blend as much, lower the requirements. So basically giving them a pass. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's that's 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 very accurate. I mean, essentially saying we're going to deny these waivers. However, you won't have to buy the gallons anyway because we're going to lower the gallons. It, it's, I mean, they, they as much as said that. It's it's uh, you know, it's it just it's 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 maddening because I you know we're we're looking at this you know the administration talking about wanting to be low carbon and here's an opportunity for them to show that they really want to do low carbon fuels now. And, and get the numbers where they're supposed to be or higher, and instead they cut them. And it's just uh, they missed a huge opportunity, and, and we're going to, you know, in our comments, and we hope other people's comments, remind them that if they truly are, you know, wanting to go to low-carbon fuels in the future, then they should do that now. I mean, there's, there's, there's fuel available now. E15 and E85 are both lower-carbon fuels. And we should be using more of them, not less. But yeah, it's it, it's pretty clear that you know they're I don't know the EPA is afraid of oil companies, I guess, because that's what all of these announcements seem to do. They they you know they scream loud enough, and the EPA gives them something that they're not entitled to. So 
Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. 2022 is supposed to be back to the the numbers that they're supposed to require, and some of that 500 million gallons we won in a court case is supposed to be on there. But if that happens, then you know it'll be they'll have the extra gallons for what they didn't buy in 2020 and 2021. It's not what they didn't buy; it's that they bought it and now they can reuse the credits. So it's uh, it's it's not good. We're not better off than we were two days ago. We're talking with Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol, and I think that's a good summary of where it's at. Uh, it's hard to celebrate this announcement because, as you said, uh, if you look at the big picture, it's it's really not that big of a jump or an improvement like some are going to try to spin it as. Um, and it's hard to have much confidence moving forward with this administration, EPA, supporting biofuels based on this action. Yeah, I mean it, it's. I, I mean, in fairness, it's like, you know, they're they're not worse than the previous one, or you know, I mean, they're, they're, it seems like the administrations are just, you know, I don't know if they don't get it or don't want it or don't care, but I mean, it's this is not the right move for them, and it's it's not. If the Environmental Protection Agency is concerned about the environment, then they need to they need to get more low carbon fuels, and ethanol is the best of those right now. So. You know, again, we can encourage them. I think, again, the good thing, if you want to see something good, is that they're out there. You know, they posted a note. They said, here it is. Here's the target. Let's hear what you think. And so the right thing for all of us to do now is tell them what we think and tell them that, you know, they need to do right by everybody that they're telling they will do right. And that goes for the environment. That goes for agriculture. That goes for, I mean, even, you know, now, now, you know, for a while, you could almost feel sorry for refiners because they didn't have any idea what they had to buy. Well, now they know what they have to buy and it's not as much as they used to, but, you know, we need to comment on that. Everybody needs to get involved and tell them to, to straighten out that thing and follow the rules, follow the law. That's right. Follow the law. I keep saying that. Yeah. So there'll be a lot of comments and perhaps legal action we will see moving forward. Ron, thank you so much. And I want to thank you uh, publicly for all the help you've given me over the years. You've really helped me understand a lot of these issues and always have enjoyed working with you and talking with you and, and, and sharing the, the news about biofuels and why it's so important to our country. Thank you for all your help. You bet right back at you, and I've enjoyed every time we've gotten together. So hopefully we'll find things to do in the future too. I'm sure we will. Thanks, Ron. Take care. Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President, American Coalition for Ethanol. Well, how does this announcement impact markets? Because we've seen uh, uh, ethanol plants aggressively buying corn. That's been very supportive of the corn market lately. What the signal does this send? We'll talk about that and much, much more with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX, coming up next right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Both winter wheat markets fell lower yesterday and again overnight. Chicago and Kansas City prices have now moved to new lows and are testing the low end of the November price range. Traders are not anticipating any changes to the wheat fundamentals. In today's USDA reports, the Southern Plains have received little rain in the past month and the two-week forecast is calling for below normal precipitation. On the Board of Trade today, March corn trading two and three quarters higher at 590, the May contract up two and a half cent 
at 5.91 and a half cent. For soybeans, the March contract down eight and three quarters at 12.60. The January contract down nine at 12.52. For wheat, Chicago wheat March down 11 and a fraction at 7.83 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat March down 12 and a fraction at 7.99 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat March down eight and three quarters at 10.26 and a half cent. The May contract down seven and a fraction at 10.14 and a fraction of a cent. Traders were a bit disappointed cash cattle did not trade on Wednesday. Feedlots set their sights on higher cash, posting offers and waiting for packers to step up to the plate. However, box beef prices have been falling with choice down $3.92 and select down $2.59. Cash should trade today. Expectations for an increase of cash has been trimmed to a dollar higher rather than $2 to $3 higher. Weekly export sales will need to be as good as last week or better. Looking at live cattle on the Board of Trade, the December contract down 37 at 137.17, February up 2 at 138.70. For feeder cattle, the January contract trading 40 cents higher at 163.70, March down 25 at 165.62. In lean hogs, the April contract trading 40 cents higher at 81.82, May down 57 at 86.95. USDA estimates FI hog slaughter at 1,396 million head for the week through Wednesday. That trails last week's pace by 47,000 head and trails the same week last year by 77,000 head. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always a lot to talk about with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Arlen, thank you for joining us. So the big news this week has been all this biofuels news. And we just talked with Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol. And, you know, there's some good in there, certainly, but uh, there's uh, some not so supportive news in there as well. And you start lowering a demand for what's already the years already that have happened that kind of offsets what you might get in the future. And also if you, you deny waivers uh, to oil refineries, but at the same time re require them to blend less, uh, what have you really accomplished there? You kind of give them an out. So all that being said, we've seen ethanol uh, plants very aggressive and they're buying lately, helping support the corn market. Does this news this week change that scenario, change that picture at all? Yeah, I got a question this morning from one of our customers over in the Singapore area saying this doesn't make sense. And I said, you're talking about politics here. Don't expect it to make sense. Um, the numbers did come out pretty much as we anticipated that they were, that, that they would. That doesn't mean that they're right uh, uh, necessarily, but it's kind of what we expected the political solution to be out of this. Uh, it certainly did hurt the RIN market. The RIN market's been trying to recover. It had priced in much of this expectation already, and it dropped from $2 last May down to around 80 cents here recently and now trying to recover somewhat. Um, and so that go, that's a big part of the ethanol margins going forward. Now, the EPA tried to throw a bone to the ethanol industry by raising the standard for 2022, but in doing so, punishing the biodiesel industry. So it's taken away from one and giving it to another. 
from a from a soy oil demand standpoint, we still anticipate seeing strong demand in the months and years ahead to the new renewable fuels, but that does hurt biodiesel industry in the near term, and that's why we've seen soy oil prices take quite a hit. From a corn standpoint, to taking you know looking back at the question that you asked, I, I think we're seeing good margins in the ethanol. This was priced into it already. Um, we are producing ethanol at a good pace and not at a record pace by any means. And, and that's been one of our problems, gasoline demand, which we need to blend ethanol into, is back to 2019 levels. But we're having trouble getting above that because we're still not driving as much as we used to. Some people still working at home. And uh, we're pushing the, the fuel efficiency standard. So uh, I think ethanol still has some challenges ahead of it unless it can be seen as a feedstock for the new sustainable aviation fuels. All right, let's look at China. We always watch their when they go shopping, uh, what they're buying and who they're buying it from. What uh, What are they doing here lately? Well, they've been buying what they need from us. So if you get into February, February soybeans are definitely cheaper than U.S. soybeans. And you might argue even some places they may find some January loaded soybeans cheaper. It really comes down to when those first soybeans get uh, harvested into the ports. And they're going to be harvesting in a few weeks. And uh, the first soybeans get loaded onto boats and start the 45-day trek to Brazil. So we just get to fill that gap. Right now, we're pretty much much on pace from a shipment standpoint to hit USDA's target on the seasonal pace. My fear is that, that we're going to stop shipments or slow shipments earlier than we seasonally would because of the early large harvest in Brazil where they're going to get cheaper soybeans. And uh, so I still feel like we're vulnerable to a reduction in USDA's export target. I don't think it'll happen in today's report. I think USDA will want to wait till January before it makes that adjustment. But I do think it's coming and the market's pricing that in. So as we we watch what China does, we don't have, uh, you know, the trade deal phase one is going to phase out and we don't know what's going to replace it. If anything, we've talked about this before, uh, it's debatable. Have they bought this year to try to meet those commitments or were they just buying what they needed anyway? But what about moving forward without a trade deal? What do you see uh, ahead when we look to 2022? China's going to buy what they perceive they need. If they start seeing signs that we're going to have shortages of corn in the world, then I anticipate that they're going to step up what they do. Now, they have a lot of uh, corn already on the books. Um, Soybeans, they don't have much in the way of capacity for storage, and and they get their soybeans cheaper from Brazil and looks like an ample supply from there. But on the corn side, with high fertilizer prices and some shortages in parts of the world, that may be more of a concern. If you look at the current marketing year-to-date corn export sales to all destinations, uh, they exceed the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target by about 175 million bushels. If you look at actual shipments, they trail the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target by about that similar amount, about 171 million bushels or so. The difference is corn that China has already purchased much of it early this year that they've never taken shipment on. They're just kind of holding those there now to see if they need them or not or want to roll them to next year or the year after or whatever. They've got those already on the books. So there's no pressing need for them to buy. Right now what they're buying is cheaper supplies from Ukraine, and they'll empty out Ukraine storage, and then they'll come back to the United States. So I anticipate that we'll see them take more corn as we get into the second and third quarter of this next year. Um, But I think they'll move that up quicker if they start seeing actual evidence of short crops in 2022 around the world. Talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. So what do you see markets doing here the rest of this year? 
This is a kind of a stagnant time of year when the fundamental news is kind of slow and sluggish and really is tough to try and kind of establish any type of a trend. And then we'll tend, can kind of tend to firm into the end of the year typically. And then we look at the January fundamentals when the market comes back and sees which direction we're going to go. I think high crop input prices are going to provide somewhat of a floor for the corn market, not necessarily the soybean market. Fertilizer prices continue to trend higher. We're continuing to see signs of significant shortages in some parts of the world, less so in the United States, more so in Europe, the Black Sea. And even this morning, as I've been talking to our people in Brazil, we had been hearing that all was well there, that farmers had bought all the fertilizer they needed for their safrina crop. But now we're starting to hear that uh, it's getting much tougher for the farmers, that they're definitely looking at reducing the rates of application for for fertilizer on the safrina corn crop, and that would likely add to some yield losses there as well. You know, the feeling is, I think, overall, we'll get what we need to get the crop in next spring. But there are those questions and those uncertainties. Certainly, price is not favorable, but uh, farmers for the most part, willing to pay it if they can get the, the product. So let's assume, and they're assuming they're going to get it, and the industry seems to be saying that as well. But if that changes, what does that do to markets if it looks like we're really struggling to get the inputs we need for next year's crop? Yeah, the number one job of the corn market now is to make sure we get enough corn planted and then to get enough produced. I do think that we're looking at just a very small reduction in acreage in the U.S. with the current lumbers, where they are maybe 1% to 2% reduction in acreage. So it's pretty minimal at this point in the United States. We're looking at more significant reductions overseas, particularly in Europe and the Black Sea. And those are areas that affect the world balance sheet, which is relatively snug right now. Uh, I think we'll see some reduced rates in the United States, which could curb yield to some extent. How much, it's too early yet to know. I think that becomes a greater concern for the market as we go forward. And uh, I think the market's going to maintain some risk premium in it until we learn more. So that tends to favor corn at the expense of soybeans, uh, probably a volatile market, some big price swings, but overall maintaining a higher plateau than what we would otherwise expect with these fundamentals. What are your acres projections right now for next year? I'm looking at 91 million acres of corn, which would be down about 2% from the previous year, mostly reducing in the south around to the central plains, maybe a little bit in Ohio. On soybeans, I'm looking for an increase to 89 million acres, uh, which will give us another modest build in supplies. If we go higher than that, we build more. But the key is if we drop below 91 million acres of corn, then we start really hurting supplies and we need to start rationing demand with higher prices. And quickly, what's the latest you're hearing weather-wise in South America? Pretty good over most of Brazil. Pretty dry in parts of southern Brazil, especially Rio Grande do Sul. That's hurting the summer corn crop significantly. It's hurting soybean production in that area significantly. We have above trend yields in Mato Grosso. That'll make up for a lot of it, but it is going to have an impact. Overall, still looking at good crops. Argentina, we're looking real good over most of the area, but it is drying out. And if this drier pattern continues as the forecast model suggests we could see some significant losses in argentina over the next one to two months all right arlen always good to talk with you thank you very much thank you mike arlen suderman chief commodities economist for StoneX. well coming up next we'll take a look at the latest purdue cme group ag economy barometer numbers very interesting the the numbers slipped again uh, this month. Uh, we'll take a look at both the, the short-term and long-term feelings of uh, producers that were surveyed this time and look at some of the issues uh, that they're looking at, including what, what's the mood of uh, farmers about uh, uh, going to using some of their land for solar and wind energy production. We're seeing more and more of that. What's the trends? What are the views of farmers? We'll talk about it next on AOA.
AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're starting to see some early signs of the approach the Biden administration wants to take towards relations with China and, and trade in particular. We see U.S. Trade Representative Tai working on building kind of a coalition to work on this issue with the U.S. Let's talk about it with Doug Berry, Senior Director of Communications for the U.S.-China Business Council. What are your thoughts on this approach that we're starting to see from the Biden administration? The big looming issue now is, of course, what happens with the Phase 1 agreement that has provided an opportunity for U.S. farmers to ship their products uh, into China at uh, competitive tariff rates, not the excessive ones that have been slapped on 
by the previous administration and which uh, China responded to. That agreement expires in January, and there's nothing right now to replace it. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. AOA is brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month we get the uh, latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Here once again, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmire to break it down. Michael, thanks for joining us. Looks like the numbers are lower again this month. Yes, they, yes, they are. The, the index dropped from 121 in October to 116 in November and that's the lowest Ag, Ag Economy Barometer Index since June of 2020. Uh, and, and so we've dropped quite a ways from the highs that we saw, we saw this spring. Uh, in, in, in April, we were at close to 180 in terms of this index. And so, and so some large drops again, again this month. Both the index of future expectations and the index of current conditions dropped. So both of those sub-indices dropped. Uh, the index of future expectations is still higher than the index of current conditions, meaning that producers realize that 2021 is a pretty good year, but there's, there's a lot of concerns uh, related to, to where we're going uh, in 2022. And, 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 and a couple big concerns are related to input costs and just the general nature of uncertainty uh, related to crop prices and input costs as we move into 2022. How's that impacting their confidence in making purchases moving forward? The Farm Capital Investment Index is really low. I mean, it, uh, it, it wouldn't have the supply chain issues, and we had uh, good inventories of new machinery. Uh, side, it would be much, much different, in, in, you know, in, in my opinion. The Farm Capital Investment Index stands at 39. That's the same index we had in April 2020. Uh, and we all know what was going on in April 2020, with, with the, when the COVID was was in full force, and so and so I think the fact that there's not that many uh, inventories out there for new machine uh, used machinery prices are rel- relatively high. Uh, we did ask a question related to uh, the, the you know kind of the uh, low inventories, but impacted uh, individuals' purchases of machinery, and 45% said yes. And so there's just a lot of reasons why uh, the car, the Farm Capital Investment Index uh, is really low. We're talking with Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, with the latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Very interesting question. As we see more and more uh, farmland being used for uh, energy production, such as solar farms or wind farms, uh, you ask about that. What was the uh, the the response from uh, the farmers when it comes to using their land or their interest in leasing farmland for those types of things? Well, first of all, we've asked this question before, and uh, when we asked it again this month, approximately 10% of the people were aware or uh, are aware of, of potential opportunities related to solar or had heard of opportunities. Uh, related to solar, there's a much smaller percent, obviously, have negotiated contracts. But when you look at those contracts, I, I think we have some very useful information out there for people that that are close to uh, where these where these contracts might be coming in. Uh, is you need to read that contract very carefully because the, there's a there's a, there's a, just a lot of details you you need to you need to be aware of related to these contracts. But what we have specifically is related to the rate. Uh, you know, once this, once these solar panels are in place, uh, what would be the payment per acre? And they vary all over the map. Uh, and, and so that was one of the main things we, we learned uh, by asking those solar questions is, is the payments can be all the way from under 500 to above 1,000. We're hearing more and more about carbon markets. Have you asked in the in the survey uh, what farmers think or any questions or concerns they have about the possible uh, income from carbon markets on their farms? Yeah, we didn't ask this month, but we have asked. We have asked in previous months, in particular last month, we asked questions related to that. And and one of the there was a, there was quite a few people that were aware of opportunities uh, related to carbon. But one of the large issues there is, is often the payments haven't been large enough to entice people to sign a contract. Uh, and so that that's one of the things that we've really learned about that. And so again, I think a producer really need to do their homework and and figure out what what practices do I need, uh, you know, it, for this for this contract, and how much is that going to cost me? 
to, uh, uh, to implement those practices and is the payment large enough uh, to offset those costs. There are still concerns about government policies and how they'll impact agriculture, aren't there, including uh, right maybe at the top of the list, tax policies. Yes, after the after the Biden administration was elected uh, in in late uh, 2020, we asked a series of questions related to uh, policy issues, and we repeated some of those questions again this month. And the answers were very similar. Uh, there's 75 to 80 percent uh, of the of the respondents are very concerned about more restrictive environmental regulations. We didn't we didn't specify exactly what we had in mind there with environmental regulations, but uh, we we worded that very broadly. Uh, and then also 75 to 80% uh, were concerned about higher income taxes and higher estate taxes. And so, and so those are very much on, 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 on uh, producers' minds. Uh, and, and probably it's not quite as important as input costs right now uh, in, in terms of their concerns. But certainly uh, when we asked, uh, we asked uh, uh, farmers about their biggest concern, uh, government policies was, uh, was picked by 28% of the people uh, higher input costs at 47%. So obviously, uh, you know, higher input costs, everybody sees that uh, as they're doing their 2022 uh, crop budgets. But, but government policy is also on, on individuals' minds. Where do the numbers, how do they compare here at the end of 21 to a year ago at the end of 2020? Much, much different. In, in December of, of, of 2020, we were at 174, and we have to remember we had that surge in crop prices uh, at the end of 2020. But the difference between uh, last year at this time and, and this year is when we were looking at those higher prices last December, uh, we, had, we didn't have the, the surge in input costs. And so we were looking at input costs, for example, for corn, where the break-even was below $4. You know, now as you start, and now when you when you when you incorporate those higher input costs along with the with the prices that we're currently seeing and the prices that uh, the futures prices is in 2022, the margins don't look near as good, uh, and so it's understandable why they're they're more concerned right now than what they were last last, last December, because now when you look at corn break even prices, they're approaching five dollars and slightly over five dollars for some people, and so just a world of difference. Uh, you know, between potential margins uh, today uh, compared to last year at this time. All right, Michael, as always, thanks for sharing the numbers with us. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite.